0: Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hale. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of scripture and theology. Right now we're going through the book of Esther, and it really is an incredible book to study. It's an incredible book to study for a lot of reasons. One, just from a literary perspective, it's just a fantastic story. It, it's told well, there's plot twists, there's surprises along the way, and, and you know, the heroes end up winning, God's people end up being protected and all, all of these kinds of things that make a good story. But it's also interesting because while it is a story that we look at and we recognize God's providence beginning to end kind of all over the story, God is actually never mentioned in the book of Esther. And so it's, it's a reminder oftentimes of kind of how we end up seeing life work, that, that at times we see all of this stuff happening Without the mention of God, and yet we know that God is in fact in control. So we're up to a new section of Esther, and this is a, a briefer section than what we've been looking at, uh, both by verse count and by kind of what happens. But it's it's distinct from what we've just read about with Esther becoming queen, and what we're about to read about uh, with with Haman and kind of the the bit of the story that we're that we're used to knowing, but. This little kind of side story of something that's happening here uh, is is crucial to the plot of the the bigger story that's going on in Esther. So this is what we read in Esther chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So there's the story. Let me pray for us and then we'll jump into this brief section. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would guide us by your word, by your spirit, that we might understand your word. Direct us for your glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at this story, there's a couple of things of kind of historical significance to note. First of all, uh, this second time that the virgins are gathered, we're not sure exactly what's going on there. This is something in relation to the king finding a queen, but in the story he already has. And so we're not sure entirely how these pieces fit together. Nonetheless, we find Mordecai sitting at the king's gate, which indicates either he had been promoted to some kind of court official or maybe that's where he always was. We don't know for sure if he was promoted. Perhaps it was because Esther was queen and she had put in a good word. We, we don't know kind of all the details of how Mordecai got to the place that he was. But the place that he was was of incredible significance. The king's gate would have been the place where business was done. It would have been the place where you know the, the legal proceedings, it was the courthouse. It would have been you know the place where all of these things happened. And so, having a seat at the king's gate is that shows us that Mordecai was in fact one of the officials. Uh, he had been promoted at some point and put into the spot to help oversee and 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 bring judgment on the king's affairs. So he had some voice in the king's court at this point. And another kind of historical, historically interesting fact is based on uh, archaeological excavations in. Susa this ancient capital city um, we, we know kind of what this gate looked like it was it was huge it was this huge building with, with all of these rooms and and in fact when we look at the archaeological uh, data and, and kind of what has been found there in uh, important digs that have been carried out there we see that it actually seems to quite match what we find in the book of Esther and so there's some kind of historic uh, historical, verifiableness uh, to this story at this point. Nonetheless, Mordecai is there at the gate and, you know, being in this important seat, he hears things, he knows things, and he he hears of this plan between two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the palace, Bigthon and Teresh, and they were angry and wanted to kill the king. It doesn't say why they were angry, it doesn't say what had happened, Uh, only that they were angry and that they were seeking to off the king. Mordecai hears about this, and he lets Esther know, and Esther lets the king know. And an important phrase here, let the king know in the name of Mordecai. Okay, now, so normally in the ancient Near East, in Persia, the the king would have rewarded Mordecai for this life-saving information immediately. Uh, but that's not what happens here. And again, this minor detail, which seems like a kind of minor oversight that one of the king's uh, you know, courtiers would not be immediately rewarded, like, all right, cool, he just passed along some information, no big deal. But even that minor detail is going to play out in, in great significance as we read on in the book of Esther. Now, another detail that is given to us earlier in this section, uh, it says in verse 20, Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. So Mordecai and Esther, or Mordecai had instructed Esther not to let the king know that she was a Hebrew, that she was Jewish. Again, we don't know why. The the author of the book of Esther doesn't tell us why. We don't know if it was for her safety. We don't know if she would have lost favor with the king if this was the case. It simply doesn't tell us why this was what Esther did, only that it was what Esther did. So as we read this section of the story, we have all of these kind of, I mean, some significant details like Mordecai is now in the king's court and there are these two men that are trying to kill the king, and the king knows it. But then we've also got all of these more mundane details, like eh, Esther hadn't you know, let the king know she was Jewish, and and uh, Mordecai was overlooked as far as getting any kind of reward immediately, but it was written down in the king's book of kind of, you know, his record of that, that he would have kept of good things done for him and bad things done for him. And, and so We've got all of these kind of big details and small details that just seem like perhaps another day in the life of of one of you know the people serving in the king's court. But again, as we read through the book of Esther, what we're going to find is that all of these details begin to matter tremendously. and And so when we read this and and think about this idea, in you know the in, in the context of the providence of God, you know some people will talk about the butterfly effect that if a butterfly over here flaps its wings one extra time or one less time, it's got these kind of global implications, right? That that everything changes based on on those things. Well, that, that's I guess a secular way of thinking about providence. The, the reality is God, even in these minor details like Mordecai not receiving a reward right then and there. Minor detail, Mordecai may or may not have thought a single thing about it. But that's a detail, even that minor thing is a detail that God uses later on to bring about his will for his people. Now, here's why this matters for us. As we look at our lives and we look at all the different things that go into making up a day, And as we think about all the interactions we have, as we think about just all all the things we do, what we are seeing here is that, that all of these seemingly innocuous details are also under the providential care and providential rule of our God. Sometimes we have a tendency to think that, oh, it's the big things that God providentially rules, where, you know, if we're going to move or if we're going to change jobs or having children or getting married or, or whatever it may be. But it's actually the the, the little bitty tiny details that, that we don't even think anything about. And there's some comfort here because what it reminds us is that these details of our lives, the these particularities of our lives that we often just don't consider, don't think about at all. We take them entirely for granted. God is concerned with every one of them. And God is ruling and overruling in our lives, even over the tiniest of details that we wouldn't give a second thought to in order to bring about his will, in order to bring about his good, pleasing, and perfect will for us. So really what we begin to see is that God cares more about and is is more concerned with the details of our life and caring about us through them than even we ourselves are. And that's wildly comforting. And Matthew reminds us of Jesus' words that, you know, not even a hair falls from your head apart from God's will. That's the detail of God's providence. There's nothing that is out from under his providential care and concern and rule in your life. This is why we can trust him with everything. Might we learn to do that as we go through even the mundane details of our life? Amen.